From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Elza Kephart. She is a filmmaker who owns her own production company, Midnight Kingdom Films, and is the co-writer and director of the horror comedy Slacks, which is now playing on Shudder. Welcome to the show, Elza. Ah, thanks. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to talk to you because uh, <laughs> I saw this movie back in Fantasia last year, and I, I, it was it was probably one of my favorites of the fest. And I'm glad to see that it's on Shutter and people are able to actually see it now. So I'm I'm really excited. Great. Oh, I'm glad that uh, it, it got your caught your eye at Fantasia. Oh yeah. <laughs> but before we do talk about about that, let's let's go back to the very beginning. How did you get introduced to the horror genre? Well, it's really just something I've always been interested in ever since I was a kid. It started with literature, uh, mm. where I started to read Agatha Christie, oh, um, yeah. which doesn't sound like the horror genre, but for like a 10 year old, you know, it's a good uh, gateway into into horror. Um, I read I think I read all her books. I was a real nerd. I had like a list and I would cross them off when I read them. Aww. 
And then from them on, I graduated to like R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike and uh, Anne Rice, uh, that sort of stuff. Um, so it was through literature. And then when I was about 10, I started to watch horror movies. Um, some of them I watched too young, as we'll discuss later. Uh, <laughs> and then I would, I would make my, my cousin, who was five years younger than me, watch a horror movie on, on Halloween. Uh, not Halloween, that makes sense, on Christmas after Christmas opening presents, <laughs> that was a little ritual. So it was just always something I was really drawn to. And then there was the Fantasia Festival in Montreal. Uh, it started here. Um, so I started going pretty much from the second year on. Um, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So that was a real education. And then, I don't know, it's, uh, I think it was just something I was really naturally drawn to, like the dark and the macabre. And uh, in film school, I wasn't. I wasn't like, I'm going to make horror films. But I, when I came back <laughs> from film school, I knew I wanted to make a really low-budget feature. And it's with Patricia Gomez-Latar, the co-writer of Slacks, who just sort of happened to stumble upon an idea for a zombie movie. And then when we decided to write this together, and I, I started to do research about zombie films just to make sure I wasn't being redundant, then I sort of fell back into it. And I was like, right, this is what I love. I love horror films. This is what I'm going to make. And, and so, yeah, so it was always just there, I have to say. That's amazing. So can you tell us a few of the horror favorites that you had growing up? Ooh, growing up? Um, well, I watched Alien, mm. which is not the film that scared me as uh, so much. But it did scare me for – it scared me, but it didn't really – like totally disturbed me um so i thought that was really great the fearless vampire uh hunters or killers i really like and then i don't know we watched like tons of bad things like child's play and uh chucky i, I, I love them i took my cousin to see gremlins 2 and his mom was really mad that i took him <laughs> <laughs> it's not scary at all um I don't know. I just watched, I would go to the video store and then the clerks would sort of recognize me and they would start suggesting stuff. So I started watching Dario Argento and he's one of my, my favorites, I have to say. Oh, okay. So you watched him as a kid? Um, as a, not as a kid, but as a teenager, I started watching. Teenager. Yeah. What's your favorite Argento? Oh, Deep Red. Deep, Deep Red. Red is so good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's just something about it, like the architecture and the, the symbolism of it that I really, I really latched onto. I love Italian cinema from that era. So good. I don't understand how he does it. It's ridiculous. Like, and over and over again. We just did a bunch of. I just watched a bunch of Giallo recently, like because I don't know much about it, and it was so impressive. So it's very fresh in my brain. Yeah, I love the the richness of the colors and the visual uh, style of uh, late sixties, early seventies Italian cinema. I just. There's something about it that I think I've tried. It's not like I tried to capture it in slacks, but I think it's sort of permeated slacks with its bright colors and like widescreen and long take. Yeah. So I, I know that when we were getting this together, one of the movies that, that you had you had mentioned was um, uh, a movie that we had already we had we had already covered on the, on the podcast. But are there besides The Exorcist, are there other movies that that really terrified you as a kid growing up? Um, I would say it was Alien. It one night. I, I was at a, a chalet with some, actually my parents and some family friends, and we decided to rent Alien and the Fearless Vampire Killers, or yeah. Hunters. And I was really young; I was ten, and that those two scared me a lot. I had to like in my parents make a cross out of toothbrushes and put it <laughs> by my bedside, bedside so 
<laughs> so I wouldn't be so scared. I love <laughs> I love vampires. So I don't know why. And it's really not a scary movie. It's just at the end where he like, where I think it's the girl who who's sort of nestled against his neck and she looks up and like there's fangs. That's the part that really got oh. me. <laughs> it's always that like image, right? That one image that sort of does it for you. And I mean, there's so many like Watcher in the Woods. I have to say. Uh, it didn't scare me, but there was something about it that I was disturbed. But I couldn't find it again, so I couldn't talk about it. But uh, Poltergeist was pretty scary. Oh, I used to oh. watch that with my friends, like at sleepovers, and you would wait for the part where the hand comes out of the TV and like all <gasps> scream. Ah! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Poltergeist is mine that terrified me as a kid. That movie, uh, oof, it really got into my head. <laughs> yeah, but. So what draws you to horror and genre as an adult? You kind of talked about that a little bit before about getting into horror, but like what really brings you back to not only creating within the genre, but watching it as well? Uh, I think it's because it's highly symbolic, um, mm. the imagery and the tropes. And, and I re I'm really drawn to mythology. And so I think horror films are sort of modern mythology, modern fairy tales. Uh, so I, that's why I'm drawn to it. Uh, it's like it short circuits the the conscious mind and the logical mind to get into like the dark primal primal mind. And I guess I'm more of like a short circuit kind of girl where <laughs> um, I like to get to the heart of it. And there's something that it's dreamlike. Also, you can't quite put your finger on it. You're not sure why. You're it's more mysterious. I'm drawn to anything that's like mysterious and metaphysical. Um, so I would say that's that's why I I like being drawn to an idea where I don't know why I'm drawn to it and then the sort of imagery draws me and and eventually I find out later like why the idea was drawing me it's almost like a, a spiritual or a metaphysical quest where this thing is is calling and I have to sort of follow it okay and I don't know why that's hor with horror I guess because horror because it's not logical as much hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why I think it's it's almost like a, a metaphysical quest that I go on as a as an artist, even with killer pants. Believe me. I know. <laughs> you, you know, I I always think about how uh, as an adult we sort of I, I feel like horror fans are constantly chasing that that childhood thrill that they that they got as a kid do horror movies scare you um as an adult anymore it depends um they don't scare me like yeah sure there'll be jump scares because how can you not scream when you know you're watching something and something jumps out at you but <laughs> the things that scare me i wouldn't say they scare me but they really disturb me like um films that really disturb me are uh actually I, I just wrote an article about like a, a disturbing double feature which was ravenous and um zodiac oh oh um, because i find cannibalism and serial killers which serial killer is a bit like the the, the first step before cannibalism it's like a, a, a human who hunts human prey there's some taboo that really disturbs me about those two um especially serial killers it's like a deranged a it, because it's true and cannibalism is has happened too so those two really disturb me and i uh, michael haneke movies really disturb me even though he's not technically a horror I'm oh i'm laughing because i just started another podcast about disturbing horror like disturbing cinema not horror cinema and our first few episodes are about michael haneke because ah! he is like so upsetting <laughs> and yeah. his films are just devastating to watch yeah. so 
Yes. Oh my god. So those are the most to me. Those have been the most disturbing films, like the White Ribbon, Funny Games, Cachet. Really. Oh my god. <laughs> above horror films, like the genre films, those those are the most disturbing. You mentioned Ravenous. I I haven't seen that movie in so many years, but I remember loving that movie. Uh, seeing it in, in the in the theater. Man, what a what a wild film. I know. I don't think it really got the recognition. I, I watched it on video when I was doing research for my first feature, Graveyard Live. I was like, oh, cannibals. Let, let me watch this. <laughs> I don't know why. It's It really just it struck some a chord. And I had to stop halfway through. I was like, I'm so disturbed by this. It's like the Wendigo <laughs> myth and the Western expansion. Like all that melded together just really creeped me out. And Robert Carlyle's performance is just so... Oh, unhinged. It's so good. He's a creepy man. (laughs) Yeah. So I I definitely think it's worth revisiting. It's really... That's the test of time, that one. And that's a good pairing, that and Zodiac. Like, that would be... That would be a good... A good double feature for sure. (laughs) What a wild, like, what, five-hour trip there. Disturbathon. There you go. (laughs) Seriously. So, Elsa, moving into talking about your film slacks can you tell our listeners a little bit about the film and what it's about sure so slacks is uh first and foremost about killer pants um <laughs> it's about a young a young woman who who goes in for her first day of work at a retail clothing store only to find that there's something drastically wrong going on behind the scenes and just discover uh, what the source of the evil but it's not really what she she thought it was and just to decide whether or not she's going to put her life at risk to to do battle against it so yeah and there's you know bollywood music and stuff and (laughs) (laughs) i loved with the moment there's a moment in the film where the pants starts to dance to bollywood music and i was so (laughs) enraptured at that moment that moment was like the moment that was like okay this thing is firing on on all cylinders (laughs) and i'm I'm so glad that you included in in the credits like the uh, kind of behind the scene look at at how you film that scene because I just it, it's so it's so good. Well, I'm glad I almost didn't, and then I was everyone just <sighs> loved it so much. I was like, okay, because I don't really like revealing tricks, but but everyone was just so there was such a positive reaction whenever when we left it in there that I thought, no, we'll, we'll, we're gonna have to leave it in there. So I'm glad. I did me too it was so adorable like i was like oh it really shows the kind of the character that goes into creating that that moment i just it, and the, the the woman that was doing it was having such a fun time behind it was it was so good i really loved it oh great yeah. so for those who haven't seen the film can you kind of talk about how you made those pants dance <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, it's pretty old, old-fashioned uh, practical effects. We had a, a puppeteer dressed in a green suit, um, manipulating a, a real pair of pants, and it was attached to her by like I think it's tent poles, like those Eureka tent poles. And she's basically dancing, and the pants look like they're dancing along with her, but it's because she's activating the pants. So it's pretty. It's pretty simple. It's a simple uh, practical effects, but it's quite, quite effective. It works really well. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration for this film and what made you want to tackle like the, the fake corporate wokeness and the misuse <laughs> of foreign labor? Oh, God. The, the, like triggering, <laughs> seeing these people be like, 
we're like the the taglines and like the we are ethically sourced. Like, oh my yes. god. So <laughs> where did that inspiration come from? I know that when ever since I've been pretty young, like I don't know, ten or something, I've really been aware of how corporations and media manipulate how we think. And so that's always really been a part of my my consciousness ever since I've been young. And I don't know, I've I've always read up on corporate malfeasance and the beauty product industry, the fashion industry, um, what have you. But slacks actually didn't come from my desire to do anything about it. It really came from a joke <laughs> between Patricia Gomez and I, uh, where we were teasing a friend of ours when we were on a road trip about words we hated. And one of the words my friend hated was slacks. So we would repeat <laughs> it over and over to her. Slacks, slacks, slacks. And it just ended up sounding like a villain. And so we started writing a script, but it was based in high school and it was really lame. And then we wrote another draft based on Patricia's retail experience. So she had retail experience. I didn't. Okay, I was going to ask about that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it still was missing the heart. Um, And so when we decided to do uh, our next rewrite, I started to do more in-depth research on really like on um, corporate practices. And that's when I started to really see, I mean, I knew child labor was involved. It wasn't a surprise, but I, I, I saw videos of children and photos and just seeing their faces really affected me. And I knew mm. that in order for slacks to be more than like a one note joke about killer pants, it had to have a, a heart. And I, I, I realized that that heart was that slacks is, you know, a young Indian girl. And then it really fell, fell into place. Um, I did a lot of research on the fashion fast fashion and a lot of the elements that came from research landed up in the film like the influencer i'd never heard of a fashion influencer before i did research oh, yeah. oh so you're lucky that this existed. <laughs> i was like what this is a, oh no, the world is far worse than i ever thought oh yes Oh, people make yes. multiple million dollars a year on uh, fashion influencing and makeup influencing. It's a it is a big industry on YouTube. I know. And it's always like, oh, I could do it. I can't. I'm not good at that. Like, I can't. I don't like being in front of the camera and like having to be on all the time like that. Mm-mm. No, thank you. It sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> no. And then you end up, I mean, influencing I don't know why people don't think it's grotesque that you're trying to make people buy stuff they don't need. And and most of the time it's women who feel like shit because they don't have the right clothes or they don't have the right makeup or they don't have the right this. And and you think you can achieve that by buying the right thing, but that's totally wrong. (laughs) Like it's on her. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty terrifying. So did Patricia have any good like retail horror stories? I know that you said you haven't worked in retail, but she probably had uh, quite a few that she used for inspiration, potentially even including someone like the about Craig. Oh, (laughs) that Craig came from all her, all her experiences with her manager. She would tell me about these manager characters and I was like, oh my God, this seems like it's insane. So her her experience of the managers and she's more like the shooty character who just doesn't give a shit. She dresses all in black. Mm-hmm. She doesn't care. So the, but the, yeah, she, she filled it with um, her two years experience um, there. And I, I worked, I never worked in retail, but I worked as a receptionist. I was temping in college and right out of college. And there was a little bit, I saw that corporate bullshit uh, when I was temping. <laughs> and so that also sort of permeated my my mind and the the corporate lingo which i hated so much but loved all that like i would take notes because i knew one day i would 
have a have a villain that was in the corporate world. <laughs> well, you yes. know, the thing is, is that like Craig it, it, in this, because this is such a, a satire, he does sometimes feel like a caricature. But I'll tell you what, anyone who has worked <laughs> in retail has had a boss like Craig. And it, ah. it killed me because I, I worked, uh, it was called Shopco and it was like a department store. And I worked there. And let me tell you, I saw so many Craigs in that, in that ah. place. And the, the way he would talk was just like triggering me back to my like high school <laughs> it just the kind of like the small fish in the big pond that is like yeah. desperate to like eat his way up to the to the top echelons of like being a regional star manager or whatever i, I t- it just it, it really brought me back to that time so another reviewer said it gave them like ptsd to watch slacks because of the retail experience <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's 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 just all around us that retail nonsense, and so and that yeah, corporate yeah. nonsense. So it wasn't hard for me to get, you know, beyond Patricia's uh, references. It wasn't hard for me to project myself into that character. And I really love writing villains, so he was really delicious to write. Oh yeah, he was great. <laughs> what I what I also like slash hate is is this idea of working at a place that makes you purchase your clothing from the place that you yeah. work. Yeah. Which is a real thing. <laughs> this yeah. is a real. This is absolutely real thing. I I went. Two of my friends did retail for a very long time, and they luckily worked at a place that didn't have to do that. But like, there are so many of these like high level boutique type clothing stores that require you to buy in season clothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm thinking about the fact that you know you are employing people for minimum wage a lot of time or very close to it, and you're forcing them to buy such expensive clothes to work at this place it's oh it's disgusting i mean that's why patricia who's very sassy and uh who who like if obviously you've never met her but you don't cross her if you're if you're (laughs) if you don't have the like the if you're not very um let's just say secure in your own self you don't cross patricia gomez so (laughs) she would just she would wear black and she's like no I don't need to change clothes. Black is always in season. And they would just leave her alone. They wouldn't argue with her. It makes me laugh that Patricia, that she is sort of the stand-in for Patricia. Because even when I was working at, at Shopco, there was always that one person that was so assure of themselves that they mm-hmm. could get away with like wearing going a little bit against the grain and no one would ever <laughs> question them so i love these that it really that's why we really wanted to know if if either of you had had that retail experience because there are nuggets from this that just feel so freaking authentic yeah yeah it was it was patricia's two years at uh, at a store that shall remain nameless <laughs> <laughs> a big a big retail store a big chain when i worked i was a, i never worked in retail but i worked as a bar bartender at like a corporate-y place that was just like very much like the corporate brand image of a restaurant and you had to buy all of their like monogrammed clothes that were the Mm. most uncomfortable clothes but you had to wear them like they had this ugly okay i'm complaining very quickly they had the ugliest (laughs) polo that you had to wear when you were the bartender outside and it was like i live on the east coast of the u.s so it's really humid in the summer it was the thickest material and it was the most unflattering color and you had to wear it in the summer and it showed every like every little bit of sweat (laughs) and it was like the it was like this is not what you want a a bartender to look like it was just it was a it was a bad scene and the shirts were almost like 30 bucks a piece oh anyway just (laughs) going back to those memories very visceral reactions well we've all had those i mean i'd be surprised to hear of someone who hasn't had a horrible corporate experience that's why i think in slacks you know the corporation is really the real villain 
Oh, yeah. By the end oh, of the yeah. movie, I was, like, cheering on those pants. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's the idea. Yes. Exactly. And I was so happy with the way you t- you guys took the ending because I was ready for I was ready for a pants invasion. Just go out there and just <laughs> I just I love the way it ended. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. So Elza, we have talked about Slack. Yes. What movie are we discussing with you today? <laughs> a movie that is so bad it's great called Exorcist to the Heretic. Okay. So you've heard of the Exorcist, and a lot of you love Exorcist Three, but we're going Exorcist Two. So a teenage girl, once possessed by a demon, our girl Reagan, played by Linda Blair, she finds that that demon Pazuzu still lurks within her. Meanwhile, a priest investigates the death of her exorcist, played by Max von Sydow. Yeah, that's pretty much yeah. it. <laughs> Except, so, boy, 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 does so much more happen in this movie. <laughs> so, Elsa, how old were you when you saw this movie? How did you see it? Give us your horror story about this film, because I am so curious. Well, the I think I was ten or eleven, okay. and I was oh in a, boy, in a friend's basement, um, <laughs> and we I don't know how we happened to fall on it. It wasn't something we were planning on watching. It literally appeared on television, <laughs> and I don't know why, because I rewatched it recently. Well, I know exactly what scarred me. Uh, it was the scene where the demon is fighting for the psychiatrist's heart. Mm. I was I was wondering. I was going to say, like, that part was really, like, intense and stressful. So I was wondering if you were going to bring that scene up. That's, it was that. And then it was the, the first scene with the locusts. And then I was so scared I turned it off. So I never actually watched the whole thing until I rewatched it recently. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the worst movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I was so scared. And I was so scared. I told my mom, Mom, I want to see a psychologist uh, because it scared me so much. Yes, yes, I swear. I was disturbed for I don't know how many weeks with that one shot. And and she was like, no, I think, I mean, okay, well, I guess we'll go. But how about you just like wait a little bit? It was just a horror movie. And I think the worst part was that I was watching it with a friend and my friend made me like scared me more. She was trying to get me to to be really scared. And so that that scared me even more, even though we just watched about, I don't know, half an hour of it. <laughs> and the funniest thing is her mother was a psychologist. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, I think I need to see my friend's mom because I was really disturbed. You should have gone upstairs and be like, hey, do you have a synchronizer? Yeah, yeah. Like, can we talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> but it was literally, it was those two, those two shots and I can see why as a young person, like the scene with a heart and the like weird demon would be terrifying, but the rest is pretty bad. So yeah. I don't know what we can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, but okay. So the scene in particular is the one where she's going through the, the synchronizer for the first time and yeah. it's the, the priest has linked himself up to her and we have photo imposed on the glass walls behind them, a flashback to the exorcist scene. And she is like caressing the heart while reaching out. Is that is that the scene that we're kind of yeah. talking about? Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. That is that was a weird scene to watch. Uh, the way it was filmed, in particular, with the superimposed image, and I, I actually kind of kind of dug how she was in the in the flashback reaching out, but in but 
it also kind of affected the future and was like grabbing the heart. I actually really, really dug that kind of scene to be perfectly honest. I think that was one of the more inventive uses in this movie. Yeah. And it was, it was scary, but it's one of the only scary moments in the film. Yeah. (laughs) In my defense. Yeah. (laughs) Or disturbing. It's not really scary. It's disturbing. Like, to watch this like demon hand reach into this live pulsing heart and like she's sort of fighting for this heart and it's i don't know why it just scared the bejesus out of me when i was a kid when i yes when i was a kid (laughs) (laughs) so so you you saw like 30 minutes of this movie including the 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 giant locust yes you guys just shut it off yeah, I was too scared. My friend wanted yeah. to kept she turned it back on and she was like, Let's watch more and being really evil and I was like, No, of I course. Can't. And I think I ran upstairs <laughs> and I was like, No, I'm done. And I watched it. I probably would have been like, Wait a minute, this is ridiculous. Why was I so scared to begin with? And she wasn't scared, she was just no. laughing at you. Yeah, yeah. Pretty evil friend seeing as her mom was a psychologist or maybe she was just like really well balanced and wasn't scared of horror films or something. I also feel like when you watch a horror movie with friends, there's always like, at least this is my experience, like I'm always the one that is like obviously scared and then my friends who don't want to seem scared, they make fun of it. But that's Mm. their way of not betraying the fact that they are a little bit terrified. That's my theory. <laughs> Could be. Could be. I or should... I'm just trying to make myself feel better that I'm scared of everything. So, you know. <laughs> I should call that girl, like, whatever, 40, not for, I don't know, I'm not 50, like, 30 years later and be like, hi, do you remember that film? <laughs> I still think about it. I yeah. talked about it on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. She'll be like, what are you talking about? You, you mentioned that also that that after you saw the film that you were wanting to go see a psychologist. Did did you have did it give you nightmares or did you just like constantly think about it or? No, I don't think it gave me nightmares. I I just kept seeing that image of the heart, yeah. the fighting against the heart, and it really, I don't know why it really disturbed me. Maybe it's back to the cannibalism. Okay, yeah, fear that like I find cannibalism really goes beyond. Like it's it's uh, for me it's a tap it's a real taboo that that disturbs me so much but so maybe it's a little bit relating to like seeing a human organ being sort of like manipulated by but although <laughs> like I love for example I love um uh dead alive which has human organs being manipulated oh. all the time <laughs> dead alive oh jeez that's a very different kind of organ yeah. manipulation I will. Say. <laughs> do you like body horror? Like, do you like body horror films? Not, no, not particularly. Okay. No, I like more supernatural, like vampires, and I like when the the monster is the same thing as the hero. So where you can't really okay. discern the monster. Like my first film was a, a zombie movie, and it's the main character is a zombie, is a nurse who who gets bitten by a zombie and turns into a zombie, and with we're with her as she's turning into a zombie and trying to figure out what's happening. So I think I really like, uh, and I wrote a, a vampire, Patricia and I have been writing a vampire show together. So I think I Ooh. like the being the villain, sort of being able yeah. to, to be the villain. Um, that's what draws me a lot to, to writing horror. So, okay. I want to bring up something with the synchronizer because it reminded me of something. Well, it's reminded me of something I've used in therapy before. Oh. Not exactly the same, I swear. <laughs> but <laughs> You didn't not, have a priest in, in the room like connecting his thoughts to yours? No, I did not. I was oh. also not possessed by a demon. That I know of. <laughs> I might have it repressed. I mean, who knows? But there's this, th- there's this technique in therapy called EMDR. 
I don't know if either of you have heard of it, but Mm -mm. it's it's used like in trauma therapy where it is a flashing light and you stare at the flashing light and it's not necessarily hypnotism, but it's like it puts you in a very like weird mind state and then you talk Mm. about trauma which is similar, kind of similar to the synchronizer without yeah. that weird psychic connection. So mm. I was watching it and I was like, this is, you know, weirdly based on a psychological practice, huh. but taken to a very weird extreme <laughs> where it's like control the tone and we are now connected. That didn't happen to me, but I was actually rather impressed. And I don't even know if they knew that was based on EMDR, but I just wanted to give that little tidbit well, <laughs> about I did, that. I did think that the synchronizing tone was was pretty creepy. Like, boom. Yeah. There's something about that, that like when you're bringing someone down to your level, there's some, there was something eerie about that moment and so that's maybe the other thing they got they got right well it's like weirdly intimate too Mm. like you know you're looking at each other and you're getting into each other's heads but in like this very ominous way with like Mm. like, the tones and the very like creepy voices because linda blair is very good at creepy like let's just say that Mm -hmm. i think she's good at creepy and so that definitely felt like the tension was building so like they did a really good job i feel like in certain scenes of having this like tension and fear and then it just kind of falls apart later but they tried they tried they and then when they go to africa (laughs) i.e the studio oh oh, my god like this i was watching it with my boyfriend and one who's moroccan and he was like is this supposed to be Africa? Like, he was just <laughs> dying. This he was like, what is like, this? What is this? <laughs> yeah. He was like, um, I'm, he's like, is this going to get better? I'm like, I'm not sure. And then when they're, they're like, the locusts are like, oh, we have those. He's like, yeah, those are bad. Okay. And then he's like, is it going to be, is this the scariest it is? Because we have locusts here. <laughs> locust devouring children like <laughs> who live in like it's just like that's such a stereotypical vision of what western oh. people think africa is like yes people in grass huts and it's like dirt and people that like obviously like, they, they don't have any like education it's like you couldn't have gotten any more stereotypical in this representation of africa as a whole never mind that it's a continent (laughs) yeah exactly never mind that it's a huge continent with like (laughs) many countries and cultures and people but like don't worry about it it's fine (laughs) exorcist to the heretic understands africa (laughs) sorry (sighs) y'all just googled not even googled because it was not then you like opened up a book and looked at a picture i'm like that's africa and then just like went from there yeah no it was pretty egregious uh i have to say but he just had a he had a good laugh (laughs) (laughs) and he was like i'm bored i want to watch we watch like old james bond together and he's like can we just watch james bond this is boring (laughs) (laughs) look i get it Yeah. You know, what, what surprised me about the whole Africa part was that all of a sudden we are shoehorning in a white savior narrative in the mm. middle of this of this film, because we have this priest that is living with the African people and he's taking pictures and then he's performing an exorcist on this young boy. I'm like, wow, we're really just really digging into that kind of white savior narrative here. <laughs> It's not even, like, worth mentioning. It's so bad. I still don't... I don't understand how it got there. I mean, either. It just sort did of I did. Miss- <laughs> well, I was like, did I miss something here? Like, I understand that she flew through the eyes of a locust. 
Locust. Yes, yes. The, <laughs> Pazuzu says, come, Reagan, we're going flying. And then they take off <laughs> as a giant bat-sized locust across the fields and plains of Africa. And I'm like, what is happening? It's like you almost want to respect it for being so damn campy. Be- and like that's what makes it even more campy because it, it doesn't know that it's camp because terry you texted me about the ending and you were like this is camp and like it is it is just ridiculous with a bed yeah <laughs> like local locust pov shots like give me more bug pov movies like in this and phenomena where you see through the eyes of the fly like i <laughs> what are the ladybugs sorry the ladybugs ladybugs yeah but- and you could tell with with the director the director is john borman and you know he has just come off of directing two completely different films with deliverance mm-hmm. and then zardoz oh okay no, wait. i love I... zardoz super bad Z- <laughs> it's so bad like he is very good at the so bad it's good but then also deliverance was just like a very important like well, important. That's a strong word. A very, like, influential slash, like, people talk about it a lot, horror movies. So, wow, he really runs the the gamut here on mm-hmm. <laughs> movies and tones. And he did um, Excalibur. Which yes, he did. I also sort of love, but... I love Excalibur. I mean, it's totally over. They, they spend the whole movie shouting. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> They're like always shouting at each other. It's probably been 20 years since I've, I've seen Excalibur. It was one that I would watch as a bunch as a kid. I loved I loved fantasy movies. And so yeah. I remember watching that one a whole lot as a kid, even though I probably shouldn't have. But yeah, I, his career is wild. But you can see that like he's he's making this movie and he thinks that he's making such like a, a, a high class art statement. And yet I think that's why <laughs> it becomes so campy in parts, because it's like, oh, you really think that you are somehow going above and beyond what was happening in the exorcist, but it's really ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't, it's the script is terrible. Well, there's no real script. I mean, it's like a bunch of random scenes where you're like, wait, what are we, what, what's the story? I'm not sure. What the... <laughs> and then the terrible sets, but, but I have to say, look, uh, even though this one is a terrible John Borman one, I have to say I have a soft spot for Zardoz because it's so outrageous. I need to watch Zardoz. The, I've never the seen it. The gun oh! is good. The penis oh, pe- is me- evil. Me- and it's just a floating stone Wait, head just yeah. regurgitating. Yes. No, oh, yeah, no. The gun is good. The, the penis is evil. That's actually what? a film. Yes. What? Yeah, and then right. there's like a giant... A giant floating stone head that just like spits out guns onto the ground. Oh, it's uh, you're you sort of I because my a friend of mine who loves fantasy was like, You've never seen Zardoz? I was like, No, I hear it's the worst movie ever. He's like, Oh, it's so bad, it's awesome. And I was like, Okay, I put it in and I literally could not believe what I was watching. I'm like, Is this am I hallucinating? This is amazing. And like Sean Connery has long black hair, and like you oh. saw the outfit, Terry, of oh. like, like the little red diaper with the boots oh. and like the I suspender. Mean- that's the that is the only thing I know about Zardoz is Sean Connery rocking this. I don't even know what to call it. Later Hosen, <laughs> yes, <laughs> futuristic Later Hosen. Yeah. yeah, I mean that kind of that image I think kind of sums up this movie too. I mean why why we got this this film? Oh, and like you know what the what a what a what a career path that man has had. 
Mm. Just looking at those. Yeah. But if, if you're listening out there and you've never seen Zardoz, do yourself a favor. Go rent it right now. I'm I'm going to watch it, I think, it's this true. week. At some point. I have to you say, Charlotte Rampling, because I love Charlotte Rampling, she sort of rocks. She's the only one where you watch it and you're like, oh, okay, you're actually selling me that this is true. Like, this is really happening. <laughs> and I'm taking you seriously. Isn't it also really long? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like a t- it used to be... I don't drink much anymore, but when I was, when I overindulged back in the day, I would be like, I'm going to watch Zardoz today. Yes. Because it was so long. I would just like, uh, what's the word? Hangoverly, like watch Zardoz yeah. and fall asleep <laughs> and walk back up and be like, it's still on. <laughs> yeah. It's almost two hours long. Wow. It feels longer. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard. I feel like it feels longer because it's just like keeps going and keeps going anyway back to the other movie we're talking about so so, okay so there's a couple kind of well some kind of cool set pieces and some set pieces that i think are just really bizarre when reagan paints a picture of the priest lamont and there's flames beside him and he is looking i mean it looks like he's he's kind of given me uh david bowie realness with that that kind of different colored (laughs) eyes and like I, i don't know it's there's that happening and then he decides out of a whim by looking at this that there's a fire someplace in the building yeah and so they go to the basement and there's a box that's on fire and instead of grabbing the fire extinguisher that they just walked by to go to this box he grabs a wooden crutch and starts smacking it oh i I, I was really confused about that and then she says I need to go call, call the fire department, runs back past the fire extinguisher to go call the fire department and then finally grabs it while the flames have like spread into like the clothing and the boxes and everything. What? You two are not the smartest cookies. And you're a psychiatrist. I think to me, having like written stuff, I think I think it was one of those things where they were like, oh, The Exorcist, it did so well. We have to do a remake or a, a sequel and then they try to like cram something together and no one was really looking at the script they just wanted yeah. to make it put it in production and so there's all these loopholes that no one really paid attention to and the, the screener was probably like oh this is fine like no problem <laughs> or or maybe they had something else planned and then they, they were like oh wait but he's running by the fire extinguisher why shouldn't he grab it? And they're like, no, no, no one's going to notice that he's running past the fire extinguisher. Don't worry Grab about it. Grab the crutch. <laughs> I could just hear the, the, the production meetings going on as they're frantically trying to like get this film in the can. That's sort of what it feels like. It doesn't feel really thought through. No. And Linda Blair has said um, in interviews after this movie that the script that she signed on to is not the script that they ended up filming with. So I think oh, I think you're really? right. I think the movie got rewritten a whole bunch of times throughout production. And that's probably why it's kind of a, a beautiful mess. Mm, it's certainly a surprising it's it's a surprising <laughs> mess of nonsense. I like when she tap dances. Like, like okay. what? I'm watching that. Here. That leads me to what I wanted to talk about with Linda Blair because so we see her in the first movie as Reagan, a like in, like a innocent young child, and then in this movie she like skyrockets into a very sexualized teenager. Like when she's yeah. first tap dancing, she wears that crop top or yeah. mm-hmm. whatever that sh- whatever that is, and she's tap dancing. And then for the rest of the movie, she's like very seductive, and she's in high school, right? Like she's still a yeah. teenager. It's never clear 
I feel. It's very strange. It's supposedly set four years after The Exorcist. So I think she's supposed to be 16. Okay. I mean, they just sexualized her character in a way that was like a like a lot. Like a lot, a lot. I Yeah, because I felt, I felt like... I, I was really surprised. I was like, wait a minute. Who, what, what am I watching? Like her, <laughs> the, the clothing that she, it's very tight on her, the red lipstick, the, the hair, the Farrah Fawcett oh, yeah. hair, like you're, and it's like, are you, is she supposed to like get in on with the priest? Is there something about like, there's a weird undercurrent. Well, well there's that weird sequence at the end where oh, like, it's, of course. you know, at the end of the movie, when they finally go to DC and they go to her old house and in, in DC and they like go to the place of the initial possession, there is Pazuzu as Reagan in the bed and transforms into like a sexy Reagan and the priest yes. jumps on top of her and they and then she whispers kill her into his ear yes of course yeah I guess that's what I was so, leading up to yes like this weird like sexual tension between a 16 year old and a priest well I wouldn't have minded that so much but she feels she feels really young like as an actress uh-huh yeah yeah that's the pro that was it for me it was like she's so young and it well, feels yeah. like it's a, a like an appendage it doesn't mean like it doesn't feel like they've been weaving in this like weird subtext yeah and apparently uh, the way they had it written it was supposed to be a bit more explicit which i yeah. and both uh linda blair and uh the gosh who's the guy's name the guy that played the priest um richard burton they both said um no because she was 18 i think at the time and he was in his 50s he's like no nope, this isn't this isn't something i want to film and mm -hmm. so they toned it down for this so what we're seeing is the kind of toned down seductive uh, sequence on the bed which i huh uh i just <laughs> i just don't know what to say about i don't know what to say about the ending this this the ending is 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 such a i think it perfectly encapsulates <laughs> the rest of the film because there are moments of some like really cool uh cinematography with it where you have what okay first of all you have the longest and the 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 most boring car ch car chase bus chase plane chase chase sequence between the t the two women who are trying to get back to the washington with oh, the priest oh and god. reagan oh my god yes and they're crisscrossed with each other where they're taking the train so they're taking a plane and then they're taking a bus in washington while while the women are taking taxis and they're constantly having to stop because the one woman is a doctor and there's so many people getting injured apparently on the street that they have to keep stopping to help them it's phenomenal though it's a it's a demonic chase sequence because like the plane keeps falling up and down and just things keep it's like oh there's traffic there was an accident like right in the middle like right in front of them and of course she can't like you said terry she has to go help him because she's a doctor and then the taxi like everything starts breaking it's it's, it's beautiful. It's amazing beautiful. that that no one, no studio exec was like, this makes no sense. Why don't we just cut to when they get there? Because the film is really long. It's like two it's, hours. It's so long. And this chase, <laughs> this chase sequence goes is basically the entire third act. Like it just keeps going. And I, I was so I was like I was trying to take note. And the cinematography in this I thought was kind of cool because the way it would crisscross between the, the two different paths. And it would like build mm -hmm. to some kind of well, it built to some kind of climax where fi finally he's opening the door and he's being assaulted by locusts while something 
breaks the windshield of the taxi and the taxi driver punches through the window to, in order to see before crashing into oh, like wow. it ends on such an exciting note but like it took so long to get there uh yeah and it was totally unnecessarily and ridiculous I forgot that he punched through the windshield, yeah. which is definitely what you do when you can't see. You just pun- you put your fist through the glass. <laughs> yep. And all I kept thinking was, you know, the, the other character, the woman, I forget her name, uh, not the psychologist, the like caretaker. She dies like she's a totally useless character. But I was thinking maybe the woman who played Linda Blair's mom didn't want to come back. And so they're like, she, she didn't. We have to. <laughs> we have to figure out a way to explain that why her mom's not there. From what I've I've gathered from doing from doing some digging about this, they originally wanted to have uh, Reagan's mom in this, but she was like, no, the script is terrible. Oh. And <laughs> good on so her. They had a male psychiatrist, and they ended up uh, making it a woman, and then hiring Louise Fletcher because she looked kind of like her mom was the rationale behind it. And so she basically becomes the the sort of surrogate mom, which I think the script, this movie definitely leans into because she seems more interested in the well-being of, of Reagan than her aunt, Sharon, mm-hmm. like played by Kitty Wynn, is. Like, she has no interest in her kid, this, in this kid, it seems like. It, should, it just seems like she's in, like, a cult movie or something. It seems like she's in a totally different film. Yeah. Well, and there's this even this moment when Sharon and, and Dr. Tuscan are trying to figure out where Regan is, and she's like, oh, she's she's at Penn Station. Sharon says, that little bitch. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I'm like, wow, this is, this is your, your, your niece that you're saying this about. There's no rhyme or reason in The Exorcist 2. So, <laughs> no, well, there's no rhyme or reason. Cause then at the end, Sharon gets out of the car and pulls like a Damien from the Omen moment and like turns around slowly and lights herself on fire. Yeah. That made, Oh, that, that, I was like, why is she even in this film to begin with? Uh-huh. She made no sense. It's like just escalating and escalating. Like, it's like the move, nothing really happens. No. Well, this stuff happens, but then, like, for the last 20 minutes, it's like, we're just going to escalate to all the things we wanted to do, but then just pack it into the end and, like, let's just see what happens. We'll have explosions and houses falling apart and locusts. Let's just see how it all comes together. Not well. Let's see. I mean, this must have cost a lot because just the scene of the bed shaking and the house falling apart. I mean, that's some expensive bills right there. I really liked the way this movie ended with that. It was very, it was very exciting. And it was like, oh, it's like, oh, finally, there's something really exciting happening on screen. It's not two people staring at a strobe light for. (laughs) But no, you're right. That that whole sequence looked really expensive and it looked really dangerous. Uh uh (laughs) That's probably where all their budget went. That's why they only did the staring at the, the strobe lights. Like, we're just going to do a really big ending. And then the rest of it will be people staring at lights and into each other's eyes and pantomiming what they're seeing, but not actually showing it until they go to Africa. Yeah, the Africa sequence must have cost a lot to, that, to build that whole town. And that's the cliff, that rock cliff, the Ethiopian okay, monastery rock, rock cliff. cliff. The rock cliff that seems impossible to climb up. And we spend so much time both with Max von Sydow's character in the flashback and then also with Lamont reclimbing it. I'm, that, why? It's bad screenwriting. <laughs> and maybe, or maybe they're like, well, we built the fucking thing. Like, we have to use it. <laughs> All right, let's, let's show them climbing it, I guess. What else can we do? We built it. <laughs> It was before the studio era where, the, I mean, not this, well, before the big, big studio film started where they were like, 
oh, we built this huge set. We just cut the scene. Okay. Like, I've worked on films like that where they built a humongous set and they realized they were just not going to use it. So they, they maybe they felt obliged to use it in a way, even though it turned out to be terrible. And they're like, no, we, we shot it. It has to be in the movie. The set design in particular in this film also really confused me, confounded me, and also like... <laughs> I was like really into in some points. Okay, so there's a psychiatry uh, office that she works in yeah. where she is like in the center of a of a hive mind almost, but everything is glass. Mm-hmm. So everything is just there's no privacy, and it's just her in the center with doors that sort of open and shove based on movement. Mm. This is we're on the Starship Enterprise, <laughs> and this is like what the psychiatrist office looks like. I was so astounded that this was the design i mean it looked kind of cool but it made no sense logically but it was i agree with you that it it looked really cool and especially that the the glass that the the lights would turn on and off and would isolate the the pods but it makes no sense that a psychiatrist who's supposed to be like in an intimate place it's in the right. middle of this glass it, it felt like bay. the kids were like in little glass cages you know what i mean mm-hmm. where like she was watching all of these kids that were in some way considered like a lot of them had like you know maybe like mental disabilities like there i think there was someone with down syndrome there was the little girl with autism that reagan oh my God. yeah yeah in two seconds and it was just very weird to see like not cages but it felt like weird like separations of kids who needed her like the psychiatrist assistance in some way like all kind of on display for her in mm. the center it was very weird and her whole like reagan being involved i think with those kind with like with those children was also very strange because you know they opened up with a psychiatrist giving that one the one young girl a hearing test right and like helping her hear again and i was like wait wait, what (laughs) i was like very confused as to how that was supposed to lead into reagan arriving at her office well i feel like there there's a germ of an idea like if you're you know a, a woman who or a young woman who's been possessed by demon and then it's opened up some sort of brain frequency and so you're able to like tap into something and heal and then but but they didn't they didn't explore that idea because i thought that was sort of interest <laughs> that could have been interesting and then somehow there's a priest in there i don't know but <laughs> they sort of drop these little nuggets in there i mean because the movie opens up on in in um i think it's mexico and there's the one woman who says you know i'm a healer why am i being attacked by this and then you have uh the place in africa where you have a kid who's also a healer and he's being assaulted by pazuzu and now you have regan who is also you know i i guess in this movie a, a healer as well and then she is also being attacked by pazuzu so i think there's probably there was probably an intention at some point to maybe have a through 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 line through these but i don't feel that that was connected i think it was just sort of like there's an idea there's a nugget of an idea go (laughs) no it didn't it needed several several rewrites i mean even that i'm not sure would have solved the problem but it might have helped some of the lines though really tickled me (laughs) so you have when when reagan first talks to the 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 girl with autism and and reagan's like what's the matter with you and she (laughs) says i'm autistic what's the matter with you she's like i was possessed by a demon Oh, it's okay. He's gone. It reminded me of like the Monty Python skit of I, I you know, I, I, 
I got better, you know, <laughs> they reminded me of, of that, like, you know, yeah, I was possessed at one time, but oh, I'm, I'm fine now. <laughs> and there's this like weird association here with demonic possession and mental illness mm-hmm. or like mental mm-hmm. like disability. There was, again, nuggets of ideas that just blew away in the wind. Like there was something to be said, I think, about, and maybe they didn't actually think about this because mental illness was not necessarily like the most well discussed topic back then but still like equating kids with autism with a girl who was possessed by a demon like there's a very interesting tension going on there between like mental illness and a demonic possession well it would have been interesting because i've i'm really interested in in uh mental illness and how it's perceived uh through different in different countries and some traditions do equate mental illness with demonic possession which isn't mm-hmm. fair obviously mm-hmm. i'm not saying yeah but it would have been interesting to weave that in you know it would have been interesting to explore why certain cultures believe that and then others call it mental i mean they do a little bit with a psychologist but they, they don't really they don't explore it she just sort of states it but i think it might have been interesting to actually Use that as a jumping off point. Well, and like could have been worked well in with like the scenes in Africa, but then of course there it's just the spectacle of the whole thing. And isn't it, it isn't just like this kid might be having seizures. It's just like, no, he is possessed Mm -hmm. and like he is going to talk in the voice of a demon. It's like there was something there, but nope, it was all just kind of spectacle for the audience. We're really selling it for your for your listeners. They're gonna watch this too. Like, no, guys, listen. Watch when it. I when I when I tweeted out that I was finally watching this movie because I had never seen it before, so this my this was my first watch. And me too. I had thrown out there on Twitter is like, hey, we're gonna watch this movie. Is like, does anyone like it? This movie has been you know like universally reviled in a lot of ways. I remember reading reports of people. Again, these are all third person, so it's probably exaggerated, but there were reports of people in the first uh, first viewing of this movie in the theater throwing things at the screen <laughs> and tearing the chairs out oh! of the uh, of the auditorium just like super upset with what they were given <laughs> William Friedkin um there's a, a clip on YouTube of him um and I, I think I don't know if he's at like a convention or something and they ask him if he had seen any of the sequels and he talks about how he was at the Warner Brothers studio and they were color color correcting this film and they asked if he wanted to see it and he watched two minutes and he was talking about somehow we're on the back of a locust flying across Africa and he then related a story from the Warner Brothers uh, producers who in a, a sneak peek of it had been at the back of this packed studio and 10 minutes into the film, he's, he's talking about these producers. An audience member stood up and said, the people who quote made this piece of shit are here and they chased him out of the building. So these are the stories that are being told about this film back when it first came out. But a lot of people on Twitter seem to have, have some appreciation for this film. A lot of people said that it gets a lot more hate than it deserves I don't know if that's necessarily true, but a lot of people on Twitter came to defend this film, I have to say. Wow. Um, <laughs> I could see, like, not to go, not to harp on Zardoz, I could see how people would do that for Zardoz, and you're like, no, watch it, it's actually sort of weird and awesome, but The Exorcist 2, um, oh, there's the call to prayer. Um, I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's five o'clock. Um but but this one I wouldn't recommend anyone really watch it. Sadly, I, I'm I'm 
the call to prayer is coming at a very and like a very good moment. Like, don't watch. <laughs> I'm in I'm in a little bedroom on, on the top of a building so it's like I'm right near to a, a mosque I think there's three around so you can't miss it that's amazing wait okay is there a call to prayer in the first exorcist movie in the first one is there a moment where there's a call to prayer in the in the beginning maybe there isn't I don't know why I'm thinking that there was I don't think so maybe the maybe when they're in Africa no because they're there in Ethiopia and that's Christian no but I do want to write a short film about a, a jinn, um, a Muslim oh. spirit. Oh. So that's I'm, I'm uh, working on on that out here. Just a short, just a short experimental film. Yeah, not <laughs> not that that has anything to do with exorcist. Well, I guess the jinns are evil, evil spirits. Exorcist Four. There you go. Ex- <laughs> oh, an international market. Oh. Do we want to wrap up and give this movie a rating out of five? Yes, let's put this one to bed. I think. <laughs> All right, Terry. How many bat-sized locusts out of five do you give Exorcist Two: The Heretic? Ooh. Well, I went in with the most. <laughs> opened mind that I possibly could because we were just briefly talking about this movie has a history of being universally panned, universally reviled. Um, and then it's sort of like an uptick in the, in the third movie because it, a lot of people seem to really like that one, but this movie in particular just is constantly shat upon. So I'm, and I'm always interested in that because I want to, I, I, I heard that there's some camp sensibilities to it. I heard that it's a little ridiculous. So I was Excited to re- to visit it for the first time, but man, uh, outside of a couple <laughs> really cool set pieces, I am more interested in how this got made than I am about the actual <laughs> movie because it's really boring. I, that I think is what what surprised me the most is how mm-hmm. how so much of this movie is two people staring at a strobe light for mm-hmm. extended periods of time. It just it didn't do it for me. If I'm being generous, I'm going to give it two bat-sized locusts out of out of five for myself. What about you, Mary Beth? I'm going to have to agree with the two bat-sized locusts, which is one or two too many bat-sized locusts for my taste. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I there are some... The ending is really fascinating and like, you know, there were some nuggets of good ideas, but overall it was just like way more boring than I've ever wanted at an Exorcist movie and this might be one of the most disappointing sequels to a film I've ever seen. So that's really... Um, selling it very well but i'm glad i watched it i now know about it and now i'm gonna watch the third one and be very excited to watch the third one (laughs) so elza you have the final word oh wow how many bat-sized locusts do you give well i would i would give it like one but i would feel that because i'm the one who suggested this film i would feel really <laughs> lame that a film i suggested was so bad and and i'll give it to no i love it because because it did scare me when i scared a 10 year old girl so much that she wanted to see a psychologist so <laughs> so i think there's you know one for getting it made because it was insane and then two for scaring me uh to death for 
for quite a while, but that's about it. There you go. Had you have you seen any of the other? Uh, I mean, I'm sure you probably have seen the first one, but have you seen like the third one? Yeah, I saw the third one, and for some reason, I thought it was the second one that I was watching, and I was like, wait a minute, where's that scene with a heart? And then when I watched <laughs> this one, I was like, oh, there's this is the one where there's like yeah. someone who, who goes through an insane asylum with a sheet, and it's really scary, and then I was like, wait a minute, no, no, no. Well, this is a, di- a different, I know, so I thought I was watching the third <laughs> one again, and I realized actually I had never see- completed watched the second one so <laughs> now i've completely watched all three exorcist films i'm very happy with myself <laughs> awesome well thank you so much elsa for joining us to talk about this wild movie exorcist to the heretic <laughs> do you have any social media presence online and what do you have coming up you'd like to share um i just have i'm just on facebook um, okay. that's all my brain can, uh, can handle. And, uh, I have a website with, with, uh, where I put my projects up to date. Um, and I want to have soon, I want to have my little experimental short films on there. And yeah, for stuff that I'm working on, I'm actually working on, uh, like I said, a, a vampire TV show with Patricia Gomez. Mm-hmm. And it's based on, um, an idea we had again a million years ago where, it's based on a disease called porphyria that's oh yeah yeah that makes people allergic to the sun so much that they can die so and that's true so we're, we're we started using that point of departure and then we're building a whole world around um, a tribe of people who have this disease but over the millennia they've come to think that they're different creatures that they're vampires although we never call them vampires and one it's the the tv show starts with one vampire who's migrated away and who's now living in suburbia with his uh, human wife who's about to have a child so he's rejected his vampire uh his vampire clan and then two of his vampire tribes people come knocking at the door because they're they're having um and they're unable to reproduce and they know that he knows how to do it and so it's a little bit like a a clash of cultures and it's how different people in who've come to who come from vastly different cultures and people who've left these cultures uh, how this clash of cultures alters them um, but also with uh, vampire shenanigans such as you know blood drinking and and vampire romance so i'm not sure how cool. <laughs> yeah it's called amazing it's called sweet blood, sweet Ooh. blood. i'm i wrote exciting. i wrote a french um language because i'm I, I speak and write French. I wrote a French language possession film. Oh, cool. Oh, my God. I'm just like, keep going. Keep yeah. selling, telling, telling me things I like because I love vampires and possession movies. I'm like, <laughs> yep. yep. Yes, yes, yes. And it's um, not The Exorcist, but it's it's like it's a French Canadian ghost who possesses various people. So it should be fun. So many cool things coming up for you. But so listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Um, what's your experience with Exorcist to the Heretic? Um, do you think it is good at the passage of time? Do you think it's so good it's bad? Let us know. <laughs> you can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay Stay creepy. And until next time.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>